really leading us to that question. What have we been asking in the last several weeks? Are we, are we there yet? And uh, so um, that's what we're going to be looking at today. But I just want to start first by saying good morning to all of you. And to those of you that are joining online or joining here in person for the first time, I want to say two things to you. First is thank you for taking a risk in joining with us. It's always a risk to try out and to join with another community of faith. And the second thing is this, that you're always welcome here at the Way Woodstock where we're committed to what? Sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. Now, I don't know about you, but these last couple of weeks have been ones of both praise and heartbreak. We, we had the joy this past week of commissioning Diane Bussey as our next kids director. Our non-director director became the official director of kids ministry. And we welcomed uh, five new members to Covenant here with the way. Weta being one of those that was joined last week. And we're so grateful for that. And here's the amazing thing. We have about a half dozen others that are actively seeking now to covenant with us here at the way and it's an amazing exciting time in the life of this church but but in midst of all of that there's also that grief that we've seen this past week uh, some of y'all may not even have even met fred wishner but fred was one of our own and and due to covid and then some health issues he wasn't able to rejoin in person uh, i know him as the our father guy uh, every time that I, I would meet with him, he'd want to pray the Our Father. It's not the Lord's Prayer to him. It's the Our Father. Let's pray the Our Father. And I, I know that Ann and Jim have walked with that family faithfully over the last couple of years. And so we lift up that family uh, in our prayers. And then also the attack. Um, Steve mentioned this, but, you know, the attack in Israel and, and the reciprocation in, in Gaza. And, you know, it's not about taking sides when you start recognizing there are innocent lives being taken. And the way in which they're being taken is just, it's unsettling. And it brings grief and it brings concern. And so I join all of y'all in, in our, our prayers for what's going on in, in the world. But I find comfort, and I pray that you do too, find comfort in knowing that God grieves with us. That God offers to comfort us. And that God's at work in all of these circumstances. Both those we see in the headlines and those that are on our hearts this morning and and here's the thing, we unpacked this a couple weeks ago, that, that for those of us that have professed faith in Christ, we have a living hope. We have a tangible hope, an eternal hope that cannot be taken away from us. Praise be to God. And that hope is offered to anyone and to everyone who will seek after Christ. Amen? Amen. So today, as, as the video would have alluded to, we're going to reflect, continue to reflect on the journey that we're on as a church uh, toward the vision that God's given us. It, it's, it's our why. It's why we exist. And, and maybe you're not familiar with this, but the way Woodstock exists to glorify God and make disciples of Jesus Christ, how do we do that? By sharing the hope-filled life in Christ with others so that we may all discover and live into our God-given purpose. We just recited what we share every week, kind of the short version of that, sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of of others and, and this vision that God imparted on our hearts several years ago to embark on is deeply rooted, firmly rooted in the commission that Jesus gives to all followers and to his church across all ages. And it's what we find in the Great Commission in Matthew's gospel when Jesus, having resurrected, met with his disciples. He says, Listen, all authority from God the Father has been granted to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, this Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I command you, I've commanded you. And, and we've been looking over the last couple of weeks of how far have we gone in this? I mean, just like a family trip. We were talking about that, you know, with fall break, a lot of people went on trips as, and the kids inevitably in the backseat or grandkids say, are we there yet? We have to ask ourselves, 
are we there yet? And we have four reflective questions. They're on the Connect card. If you click the QR code and, and sign in online, or if you have the print one that's handed to you, there's four questions, reflective questions that we posit to us collectively and individually every week, and those are these. Who's helping me grow in my faith? Who am I helping grow in their faith? How am I discovering and living into my God-given purpose? And how am I sharing the hope in Christ with others? And if you missed the last couple of weeks, I encourage you, wherever you get a podcast or if you want to go on our website, listen in to those sermons for the last couple of weeks because we've unpacked the bottom two questions about hope and purpose. But today and next week, we're going to look at a two-sided coin, and that's about faith. That's about discipleship. How am I growing in my faith, and then how am I helping others grow in their faith? And I can't think of a better place to start than with Jesus' own words. So if you have a Bible handy, there's some in the back of the pew. If you've got a, a smartphone, you've got a Bible app on there, I want you to join with me today. And rather than a single text today, this topic of discipleship permeates all of the, the, the gospel account. And so I'm going to invite you to have your Bible handy because we're going to jump around today. But I want to start with Jesus' words. And here's the first words I want us to read. It's from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 19. We find Jesus say this. Actually, I'm going to back up to verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And then as we've already kind of recanted earlier today, I want to to say it again. This is Jesus' final parting words in the gospel according to Matthew to his his followers in, in Matthew's account. He says this, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you go with me to prayer before God this morning as we continue in worship? Almighty God, I thank you for the way in which you invited each and every one of us to awaken today. And wooed us to gather today in your presence. And God, no matter how we've come, no matter what's been on our hearts and minds, we know that you are present. Your spirit wants to move mightily amongst us today. And so, God, I pray that the meditation of our hearts and minds and the the words of my mouth would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Have your way with us. I ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said, Amen. So here's something I, want, I think is a truth that maybe we all can agree on, and that's this, that no matter whether you're a skeptic or you're a seeker or whether you've been walking with Jesus for a long time in your life, there's something that we all share in common. You know what that is? We are all disciples. And you may be thinking, like, what do, you, what do you mean by that? We're not all disciples if we're skeptic, but here's the deal. We are all being discipled. Discipleship, let me give you a, a definition, a working definition, is the process of shaping someone into something. Which means it's not a question of whether we are being discipled, it's a question of of who is discipling us and what are you being shaped and discipled into. You see, all of us are being formed into something. 
And the truth of the matter is there's always some kind of external factors weighing in on us, shaping us. And perhaps the, the greatest one today, I don't know how many of you, how many of y'all have a smartphone? It's really smart, isn't it? You know what mine does on Sundays about midway through the morning? It gives a download of my usage from the previous week. <laughs> how much time I've been on it and, and what apps I've used and how much time I've spent in scrolling on social media or looking at a news app or checking the email. You know, there... It is probably one of the most formative or deformative things in our possession today. But the truth of the matter is, we are all being shaped by external things. We're all allowing people and voices and things, things we read, things we listen to, things that we see to inform the way we think, we act, and what we say, don't we? I think about it as a parent or maybe a a grandparent. You know, one of the most awesome responsibilities is to raise a child. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, there's no manual. Is that, can I get an amen to that? I mean, you, you, the child comes into the world or you adopt a child and you're like, what do I do next? And it's an amazing gift that you have to, to help shape and to form those children. And the fear is that you don't want to deform them in the process, right? And, and, and I was reminded as a kid, I, I remember whenever I would rile up my, my mom, my dad was very quick to say, you're a reflection of your mother. That was his deflection because I was a lot more reflecting my dad in those times. But, but it begs the question, who are you a reflection of? Who are you a reflection of? Because you see, we're often, often a reflection of the people and the thoughts and the things that we've allowed to shape us, to, to form us. So the question is, is who are you allowing to shape your life? Who are you allowing to, to form you? And better yet, maybe, who are you becoming as a result of those people and those things that you're allowing to shape your life? Because, you know, the the greatest reflection, the greatest reflection that we have to offer to this world is not our own, but it's that of our creator, God. God himself. You see, we were created in God's image. That's what we find in Genesis. We were created in God's image. We were intended to be the image bearers of God himself, only the taint and and the brokenness of sin within us and the sin around us that's imposed on our own lives. Well, that's kind of marred that image in which we are intended to bear, in which we're intended to live through life. And unlike when we look in the mirror, I don't know if any of y'all looked in the mirror this morning. Maybe you needed to. I, I, I did to comb my hair. Maybe some of y'all need to look in the mirror this morning. No, I'm just kidding. Unlike looking in the mirror and combing your hair to get it straight, there's nothing we can do to straighten out the sin in our life. There's nothing we can do to undo the effects of sin in our life. But God can, and God has, and God will through his life and through his death and through his resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Praise be to God that because of what he did and what he's doing, he shows us how serious he is. By willing to put on flesh and blood and to to come and walk amongst us and to teach us what the love of God looks like, both in words and in actions. And ultimately to lay down one's life for us all. That's the gift that God's given us to make it possible for us to be remade, if you will, to, to be reimagined, if you will, to, to be able to reflect fully the image in which we were created. Think about that for a minute. What an awesome gift that God's given to every single one of us through his son, Jesus Christ. 
And this is what Jesus invites us to in becoming disciples. You see, his first disciples, Andrew and, and Peter, he says simply this, come and follow him. You find that recurring throughout all of his invitations to all of his followers is simply come and follow me. Come and follow me. And then going further, he says, as we see at the end of Matthew's gospel, then go and make disciples. But in order to make disciples, we have to be willing to become a disciple. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, the, the, the extent to which we can help lead others to be a follower of Christ is somewhat dependent on our desire, our willingness, our openness to being a follower of Christ ourselves. And what's striking in this invitation that Jesus offers in Matthew 4, you find it also in Mark 1. It's the, almost the same setup, the interaction with Jesus, with Peter and Andrew. This come and follow me and I will send you out to be a fisherman of people or fisherman of men, some translation have. There's a Greek word behind here that is, is not revealed fully in the English translation. And it's this, poyal. Can you say that with me? Poyal, poyal. What he's saying here is come and follow me. And he's saying poyal, which means to make, to produce, or bring about. In other words, come follow me and I will make you into something. I will make you into fishers for men. Make you into disciples pursuing after other disciples. You see, in other words, what, what Jesus is in, inviting us to here is to come and follow him so that he can shape us and form us more in his likeness. More in his own image. Paul puts it, be an imitator of Christ. Any of y'all ever have those, uh, grow up in that era with Mike Jordan and it says, be like Mike, right? You know, be an imitator of Christ. That's what as Paul repeatedly points us to. And, and what Jesus wants to do in our offering to walk along and follow him is to allow us to see how he loves so that we might love the same way. To long for the things that Christ longs for. To have a burden on our hearts for the things that burden his heart. To allow his character to become our character. To, to allow us to be shaped and to allow our passions to increasingly be shaped more and more like that of Jesus. That's the invitation that Jesus extends to us all. And so the question I have for us as a church this morning is, how are we doing with that? How are we doing that with that the way? And more importantly, maybe individually, how are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? You see, I, I don't know about you, but if, if I'm going to be brutally honest with you this morning, when I look in the mirror, I still see a lot of my own reflection as opposed to the reflection of Christ in my life. I, I'd love to say that when I look in the mirror, I see the, the, the love of Christ, that, that I have the burdens of Christ, that I have the passions of Christ that I see reflecting back. But to be honest with you, there are moments and there are days and there are thoughts that go down rabbit holes that are not a reflection of that, but a reflection of my own flesh. Can I get an amen to that? All right, well, that, you just affirmed what you see in me. Now, what do I see in you? <laughs> Probably the same thing, right? As much as we desire to be a reflection of Christ, we know that we are a reflection of our own flesh sometimes. And the cool thing is, or maybe it's not so cool, but the affirming thing is, even people like Paul, Paul, who was all in for Christ, just went all in, wrote a ton of letters, had a tremendous influence in the early church. 
He recognized this about his own life. He writes this to the church in Philippi. In chapter 3, we find these words. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to be taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is in behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing. He opens the opening salvo in this same letter to the church in Philippi. He writes this beginning in verse four of chapter one. He says, in all my prayers for all of you. He's speaking to us. Just like those in Philippi, he says to all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then this being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Praise be to God. We're all a work in progress. That construction zone says work in progress. That's us. And, 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 and Paul's speaking to that. And, and we as Methodists have a, a, a fancy word for that. You know what that is? Sanctifying grace. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God where we've moved beyond understanding simply that God's been at work in our lives before we knew him. And going beyond the place of knowing that we need God and we need the saving work of Christ in our life to recognize that we haven't arrived yet. When we say yes to Jesus, it's not like we have a ticket to heaven. We do. But that's not the gospel. Gospel's about getting the heaven into us, not us getting into heaven. Can I get an amen to that? It's about being transformed, being renewed into the image and the likeness of that which we were created. That's what sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit does. That's sanctifying grace. We Wesleyans, I think, get that right. And Paul speaks to that here. But may I stop for a minute and step on some toes? Can I do that this morning? I want you to know that if I'm going to step on your toes, I'm going to step on my own first. Could it be, could it be that the greatest reason we're not living lives filled with unshakable hope and an inexpressible joy, even in the struggles of life, and let me know, I I know all of us are struggling with something this morning, is that we haven't fully given ourselves to Jesus being Lord of our life. That we haven't given ourselves fully to allowing him to shape and to reshape our lives, our thoughts, our words, our minds, our actions to be more like his. Could it be that that's what's holding us back from the fullness of life that Christ has for us? Because y'all have heard me say that before. You know, I understood Jesus as Savior as a young boy at 14. He was, he was Savior. But I call that gumball Jesus, right? You put a quarter in. Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. Any of y'all been there? Any of y'all ever asked Jesus for help? I mean, am I the only one? That's, that's gumball Jesus. You put a quarter in when you need Jesus. But when you allow Jesus to become Lord of your life, well, that's something totally different. And it took me another 20 years to yield to a desire to allow him to be Lord in my life. And I've got news for you today. I'm not done yet. <laughs> There's still holdouts in my life that I have to yield and surrender to him. And I bet that I'm not alone here. That if we're going to live into the vision that God has for us to simply go and make disciples, well, the first thing we have to do is rededicate ourselves as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so what does that look like? What does discipleship look like to you? You know, I, I, I've been challenged over the last several weeks to kind of reflect on what does discipleship look like? Can you distill that? There are a ton of books on discipleship. There's a bunch of how-to books out there, right? 
We have the greatest how-to there ever is right here. Can I get an amen to that? But let me, let me offer you this when it comes to discipleship. There's three things that I see Jesus doing in offering discipleship to his early followers that he offers to all of us today. And that's this, that, that helps shape their lives. First thing is the word of God. The second thing is the spirit of God. And the third thing is the people of God. Let me say that again. The word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. Well, what is it that he sent us out to do? He says, go make disciples baptizing and teaching. Teaching what? All that he's commanded. Well, where do we get that? He, he was a Jew among Jews. He knew the scriptures and he was the fulfillment of scriptures. He was essentially the living word of God. And we have this and he commissioned us to go and teach what he's commanded. And, and Paul got this. Paul understood the significance of God's word to shape our lives. And he wrote to, to one of his young protégés, Timothy. He writes this in 2 Timothy, and you might want to write the scripture down. It says, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is God's breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I wish that when I opened this up and it gave me a report every week, the most amount of time I was spent was in the Bible app. It's not. Now, I like to read print too, so know that I'm in the Word. But what about you? What would our lives look like? What would your life look like? What, what would your thoughts look like? What would your actions look like if we spent more time getting into God's Word than we do scrolling Facebook or reading the 24-hour news cycle or listening to it? Think about what you're, I mean, any of y'all's blood pressure go up when you listen to a 24-hour news cycle? Yeah, at least one person's honest, right? I've turned it off. <laughs> Think about this. Here's, here's the thing that happens. When we get into God's word, God's word gets into us. Let me say that again. When we get into God's word, God's word gets into us. Facebook is a mess, but the book <laughs> is the antidote for so much of what we see the word of God, the word of God. And, and, and the second thing is this, as I alluded to earlier, it's not simply the word of God, it's, but it's also about the spirit of God, allowing the spirit to work in us. Listen to what Jesus said before he was about to lay down his life for all of us. And, and John's gospel, John beginning in 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, is amazing sharing and imparting to his followers. But in chapter 14, we find these words, beginning in verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. That's a tall order, isn't it? My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but. And y'all know I love it when there's a but in scripture. But the advocate the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. You see, we're not only shaped by God's word, but we're also guided by God's spirit. And, and this is the promise that Jesus makes to all who believe in that we can be guided by the power and presence of the spirit operating in our lives. When we profess faith in Christ Jesus, we're baptized into the community of faith, yes? And we're baptized by water and what? spirits you know i don't know about you but i got the the water part it, it, it's, it's still very humbling in my mind to, to imagine 
the significance of being baptized by water, needing to be cleansed. You know, you look in the mirror and you recognize that you can't smell yourself, but you might look dirty sometimes, right? It's that cleansing. It's the, it's the forgiveness of our sins. But what we so often forget and what it took me years later to ask me grasp is it's not just a baptism by water, but it's also a baptism by the Spirit. To be immersed by the power and presence of the Spirit of God in us, allowing us to be guided by His Spirit. That's, that's what convicts us. That's what helps shapes us. That's what helps guides us in knowing all truth. It's what illuminates for us the words that sometimes are struggling and difficult for us to read in Scripture. It's what empowers us to reach out to others and to speak in their lives. So I ask you have, you, have you experienced the fullness of the baptism of the Spirit? Not just the water, but the Spirit. And if you haven't, I invite you to talk to Pastor Ann or myself or someone else that, that has begun to experience that and, and open yourself up to the fullness of the whole of your baptism. You were not baptized just by water. You're also baptized by the Spirit of God, the presence of God in your life. This is what we see Jesus doing. He's teaching by the Word of God. He is the very Word of God. He's also offering the Spirit of God. He promises that. That's what happened with Pentecost. People were set on fire. You know, Anne was talking about the, the trees illuminating this morning. I couldn't help but think that it was the Holy Ghost is illuminating on all of God's creation. I mean, it was set on fire, right? We're offered that same thing, the Spirit of God to operate in our lives. But there's one other part of this. It's not just simply the Word of God and the Spirit of God, but it also involves the people of God. Because you see, we weren't created to go through life alone. When God said, let us make humankind in our image, he's talking about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the full relational aspect of God. We're created in that. We're, we're meant to be in community, to be shaped by, to participate in the context of community. Jesus poured himself into his disciples so that they in turn could pour themselves into others and he would send them out, ultimately filled by the Holy Spirit, to be a witness to all the world. But it took them connecting and huddling together. And this is what we see the early church doing in in, in Acts, Acts 2. I mean, after the Pentecost moment after the Holy Spirit had fully descended on his disciples and Peter goes out and preaches the greatest sermon that a, a disciple of Christ, I mean the greatest sermon I think is the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus, but the greatest sermon that one of us could preach, Peter's preaching and some, what, two, three thousand people come to Christ that day? How awesome was that to witness? But right after that we find this in Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the disciples, or the apostles, excuse me. All the believers were, get this word, together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, they poured into each other's lives. This is what we see continuing to cascade throughout all of Acts. It was a eunuch that needed Philip to pour into his life. It was Timothy that needed Paul to pour into his life. The question I have for you today as it relates to the people of God is who are you allowing to pour into your life? Who are you allowing to pour into your life? You see, we often think this faith journey is one that we can go it alone. But that's not what God desires for us. And I want to give a challenge to those that are online today. And 
I'm stepping on some toes here, but some of you, you're there, thanks be to God, because, because of being homebound, you're unable to be here, and we got the technology to come into your home. But some of us know full well, some of you are there, and you've never come back to the context of full community coming out of COVID for whatever reason. And I want to ask you, I want to implore you, what's holding you back? What's holding you back from being a part of this body of Christ and allowing others to see you and to pour into your life? I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, and not just them there, but us here in these pews. Because so often it's easy to come in here at worship and leave and never be shaped by the people of God beyond this. The writer of Hebrews knew how easy it is to wander from our faith. Writing this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he promised, he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And then Brother James kind of draws it home. He says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, someone should bring that person back. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Sometimes I need someone to check me. You ever need someone to check you? That's what James is saying. Permission to check one another. Those of us that have professed faith. And then we sang this, this beautiful hymn this morning. Here's one of the stanzas. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. You see, before we can go pour into, before we can go and make disciples, as Jesus leaves his followers with in Matthew 28, We have to heed the invitation to come and follow him so that he can make us into who he's created us to be so that we can then go out and live that out. We have to be willing to be a disciple before we can go and make disciples. And I don't know about you, but I need you. I need other people. I need my wife. I need my church. I need my Bible study. I need my clergy accountability group. I need the body of Christ in all the different ways that speak into my life, words of encouragement, offering to pray me, pray for me, and yes, even challenge me, call me into task when I'm walking away or not living or speaking in a way that's lovingly as Christ would have me. And the truth is we all need that. So I simply ask you this question this morning. You were given a bookmark, hopefully on the way in. And if not, we'll get you one on the way out. It's two-sided because we're going to pick up the second part next week. This week, who is helping me grow in my faith? Who are you helping? Who's helping you grow in your faith? Are you in a small group? Do you have an accountability group? Do you have someone that's checking in with you? Do you have someone that you're allowing to speak in your life? Perhaps... This morning, you can allow the Holy Spirit to speak in your life who he's asking you to invite into your life. To speak those words of encouragement and also speak those words of challenge. So that we, iron sharpens iron, Scripture says, can become the people of God, filled with the Spirit of God, to proclaim the Word of God to those that don't know God. That's who we're created to be. That's our why. May it be so, church. Amen.